0: Welcome back, rugby fans, to another great episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast show. With your team, of course, here is Ty Braga, myself, the host for today's activities, alongside Rob the Hammer, Hammer Hammerschmidt, and Scott the Big Guy Ferrara. And to battle it out with these boys to be able to take top honors in this rugby debate show, we have Colton Strickler from the DNVR pod. And that, of course, is a man who's been covering very closely all the action in Infinity Park and Rugby Town USA. Colton Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, thank you for the introduction, Ty. Uh, looking forward uh, to to talking about this program and getting into some other stuff. So, uh, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Looking forward to it.
0: Well, it's going to be an exciting one. We brought you on as a bit of a specialist here. Uh, I know that uh, that Rob and 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 Scott previously have had arguments about specialists in rugby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but you know, it's
2: funny. It's funny, you know, you and you and Ty, uh, you and Rob are really twinning with those hats. there, those
0: awesome hats. I oh. don't know. <laughs> did you guys think about that it's before you got on? By the way, there is not a wardrobe Fuck meeting not. before we go on camera. Because <laughs> it seems like it. Uh, it does no, seem like it, but obviously we both get our gear from the same place, right, Rob? <laughs> well, exactly. But this
3: is my, my go-to hat, man. When I'm having a bad hair day, I throw on the Rugby Rant hat. I love the murdered outlook. You guys know that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, they did a, I, I love the job they did on the on these hats. Uh, so, uh, the, the versatility, tell what they can do is just awesome. As a matter of fact, I'm having, though. we're, I'm having them do some custom, doing some custom artwork for some masks for the high school. Cause we're going back to play return to play and they're yeah. doing some work for our high school team to get masks. Cause our kids are gonna have to wear masks. They do some great stuff.
0: That's pretty cool. Actually, I saw some photos about uh, uh, youth rugby in Spain where it's like obviously required then and they were playing full games. But more to the point about the hats, I wanted to actually bring this up. This is something I was going to bring up off camera. This is my favorite hat that we have gotten from the rugby uh, shop.com, obviously, because it's ours. But more importantly, it's about the only one that fits me properly. <laughs> this is what I look like when I wear the Rooney one.
1: <laughs> well
3: the only thing that can make you look worse is if you pulled a uh big guy and you wore a gilgrony shirt with a utah hat and we're kind of cross-polling
2: what are you trying to say <laughs> i gotta listen so he, the rugby as, shop gives us awesome
0: swag okay? As as much as this is a really cool hat i'm sure and go check it out there rugby shop
2: this is the one that fits me <laughs> Listen, maybe I want to rep
0: my new Texas Cup team, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Gentlemen, we digress. And let's take the opportunity, if you're still here with us, (laughs) to be able to remind you that, that this is the Rugby Debate Show where we put our guests to the test as they battle it out for top honors. Now, the rules are pretty simple. They get two minutes to be able to rant about the topics at hand, which have been chosen by you as the MLR Fan Zone members and, of course, those that enjoy our show. The two topics that came out on top, in fact I should probably rephrase that, one topic that came out on top and we threw in the second was to ask more about the Glendale Crossover Athlete Program, what's happening in Infinity Park as an experiment. We're going to dig really deep and hear what these guys think about now that new insights have been shared as to how it operates, how it works, and a lot more specifics about the payment, the structures, and of course, all the costs that are included. So we're going to dig deep and learn more about the Glendale crossover program in the first part of this and come the latter part of this presentation. And this uh, episode here, we'll be discussing the new MLR schedule that dropped this week. So our boys here will be debating who is the biggest winner and loser in that schedule while we're talking about the top matchups. So stick around for the second half of this, but more importantly, we're going to hand the floor over to our first ranter in a moment's time, which will be Colton Strickler. Before we dive in there, I want to give you a few insights, a little bit more about the program in Glendale and how it works. If you're not familiar Glendale, as we rewind to 2020 in March, like everybody else, was shut down for any rugby because of the COVID conditions. Subsequently, the Raptors exited the MLR franchise and season. There were no more. What filled its space? Well, what came to be was the Glendale program they announced with Mark Bullock as the director of rugby for Rugby Town USA to call it an experiment to introduce crossover athletes to rugby. These athletes have been chosen at a high level of their sport, and it will include wrestlers. It will include basketball players, of course, football players who they believe have transferable skills. It has received a lot of criticism from those fans out there saying, how can a player only adopt the game when he's already in his 20s and already possibly at the end of his existing career in the chosen sport? So it has received mixed reactions from the rugby loving community out there. But some more insights have been shared that there are 40 players that are proposed to be a part of this final squad. 27 of them have already been introduced to a camp that has recently been hosted as recent as the 27th of, of January, they assembled and they started their first day's training on top of that. It's also now been revealed that this entire program is being funded by the city of Glendale that has a cost that is estimated to be in the ballpark of $3 million. So these are some key points that we have now help you understand the context of the conversation. Let's dig deep and share what these guys think with Colton taking the floor. So your two minutes start now.
1: Yeah, thank you, Ty. So I got a lot of a lot of takes on this right here. Um, and I think that this is not, you know, it doesn't deserve all the hate that it's getting. And you said it perfectly yourself, Ty. Like you said, this is an experiment. This is the first year of this. This is a year where you can't judge like really anything based off of this year, anyways, right? There's a lot going on, COVID, everything like that. Um, but this doesn't deserve all the hate that it's getting. And, and I'm going to kind of piggyback on a point that I just saw in your live show an hour ago or whatever. And, and you had my guy, Nick Boyer on. Love Nick Boyer. Nick Boyer has been on the DNVR. The DNVR Rugby Podcast, uh, two times, I got to know Nick very well when he was a member of the Raptors. And he, and he made a point that he said, you know, he, he hopes Glendale does well. He he wishes him well moving forward. But he doesn't think that that doing this, introducing rugby to these guys that are 21, 22, 23, um, that, that is the way forward for American rugby. And that's something I don't necessarily disagree with, Nick. I don't think it is the way forward, but it is a way forward. And I feel like that way is worthy of being explored. Um, there's a lot of ways, you know, to, to hit the golf ball into a hole, right? You can you can you mix up your clubs. You can hit driver first hole. You can hit your wood first hole. But as long as you make the the ball in the hole, that's what matters, right? And this is like this is something that is worthy of being explored. These guys are you know incredible athletes. He, he also made a point I saw in the first part um, talking about it doesn't you know it's not all about how strong you are, how fast you can run a forty. It's what happens up upstairs in your brain. It's another point I don't necessarily disagree with, but I think it you know, it it certainly helps, right? It certainly helps to be, (laughs) to be huge, to be extremely fast, to be extremely strong. Uh, and, and like I said, it's going to take time. I think going into this, you have to, to be real with the expectations. Uh, you mentioned the goals earlier. I've asked Mark Bullock about those goals in particular and, and, and he pretty much said, you know, you got to aim high. Why, why work for, you know, why do anything if you don't have something big to work for? Um, that's that's kind of my take on it, and, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more. That's just some of the few things I wanted to get off my head right at the top.
0: Right. So a couple of things I like there that you said that resonated with me. The first is, I'm not sure if it's the right way you phrase it, but you said that it's not the way. But it's yeah. certainly another way to be able to approach rugby development, right? It is a way, yeah. And, and, and you know, and I love that. You know, there's many ways to be able to, to do what we do. You need to be innovative. You know, don't keep going down the same path that's been tread so many times. You know, this is innovation at its best. And Mark Bullock did describe it as an experiment. So the second thing you said is, yeah, you know, being big isn't only, you know, the primary requirement to be a rugby player when you choose a football player and go, well, you're big, you're strong, you can play rugby, right? It's not as simple as that, but as you said, it certainly does help, right? Yeah. So some of these, the the, the athleticism is, is certainly important. The physicality that they're used to in their chosen sports before joining rugby is relevant. These skills were highlighted recently when they shared a pilot video, which is about an hour long. If you, if you haven't taken the opportunity, if you're watching this or listening to us on podcasts, go and check them out. Crossover uh, Academy program. They've just released their their video. It's about an hour long and it shows you the drills that they go through. It shows you the training techniques. It shares the philosophy and it shares the goals. Now more to that point about the goals, as you pointed out there, Colton, the goals have to be set high, right? Because you got to shoot for the uh, the stars and, and hit the moon. So let's see what those goals actually are. Recently, the Guardian had published an article, and it cited many points about this program, one of which was the goals. So let me share some of the goals that they have outlined for this program so people recognize what they're trying to do. One, they want to be able to produce five to ten players that will represent the U.S. national team by the year 2023. Of course, coincides with the next Rugby World Cup. Secondly, by 2027, they will only want to be able to be able to compete and have players in that side. They want to be able to have those players contributing to a, a win at the Rugby World Cup to be able to take the title uh, while representing USA Eagles. Finally, and this is perhaps a long term plan or really not really it's because it's, it's got a more relevant date. But possibly join Pro 16 by the 2023 or 2023 uh, 24 season. So these are massive goals. With that understood, I'm now going to hand it over to our next ranter, Scott Ferraro. What have you got to say?
2: Let's get hot, fellas. So I think that you have to, you have to realize a lot of the hate um, that's going around online that Colton was talking about was well, who are they going to play? Well, obviously, they could play whoever they want to because they're not in the league. And I think that's one of the structures that people don't realize. You know, I think Glendale, when they were in the MLR, they saw that the, the, the rate was expanding. The expenses were expanding. If you take your operation and make it independent, now you could say, all right, we really only need to play, let's say, 12 matches, right? Versus this year in the MLR, it's 16 matches. Next year, it could be 20 matches. The year after that, it could be 24. And now your expenses are... You know, this much versus this much. Um, so I think that's one thing that people aren't realizing. And how does, how does a typical pathway player from the United States play? They play in their D1 clubs. They play in the MLR. They play at D1A schools and then they go on to be selected for the Eagles. So this team is going to play those D1 clubs. They're going to play MLR Academy. I believe their first match preseason is going to be against the uh, Giltini's Academy. So, I mean, it's not far-fetched that these guys are going to play the same competition a a person who played rugby in high school would be playing and could be on Team USA. I do have to also point out, Colton brought up two good points or brought up a good point about um, things that that Nick Boyer said. What's one thing you can't teach a lock, fellas, to be 6'8"? What's one thing you can't teach a prop to have the girth to be a prop? So there are things that some of these crossover athletes have as far as height and weight that don't come naturally to other people. I think they're going to see more of a, um, a of an effective rate of turnover to like, you know, other squads of you know basketball players being locks, um, props, flankers. I could see a lot of upfront guys uh, turning that over um, just because there's a little less of the head game there. Um, you know, just teaching the basic skills, teach them how to scrummage, which is going to be uh, easier. And to be honest, for football players, you know, getting low, having your back straight, keeping your head up. Or things they already do anyway. So the finer points of the scrummage is something that you be you can be taught. Um And then you know they can figure out the cheeky way af- after that. But um, yeah, I do think it's getting a lot of hate for no reason. I do think we can have that. I think they can find ten players to be on to be Eagles by twenty twenty three. I do think that's an attainable goal. And they might not be nines and tens. They might not be, you know, your fullbacks. And who knows? You have a good wrestler. He could be a great fullback. He'll be your last line of defense. And you just have to teach him how to use the, the boot a little bit. So, I mean, I do think you can find that.
0: Right. So I want to be able to hone in on, on a particular point you said is that, okay, certain players have the skill set already. They possess the skills, whether it also be in physical uh, physicality, it'd be in stature, it be in form, it be in endurance. You know, there's so many aspects of what they already do that can be transferable, but you're not suggesting that that's going to be your 9 or your 10 who's got that rugby yeah. IQ that has been bred into him over a 15-year career, which arguably so, it, the U.S. is already lacking, right?
2: So And and here's here's another thing. Hold on. Here's another thing, Ty. Just sorry to interrupt you. But we had Rob Remescu on, and he was talking about the difference between some of the D1A right? uh, rugby teams in, in, uh, uh, playing in college. And he said, there's, there's like, you know, out of the top 25 teams, only the top 15 teams are actually playing and practicing five days a week. Like a, like a normal quote unquote, a normal, uh, um, team would do. So you already have guys you're taking from football, wrestling, basketball, baseball, hockey, that if they play D one or, you know, D one a in college, they already have that mindset of we go to work five days a week and we enjoy the game on Saturday. So I think, it's easier to flip those guys into the training schedule than it could be for some guys who aren't used to that as well.
0: Right. Fair points. So talking about the athletes that they've targeted, right? Now, circle back around to something I said earlier that they had sourced, oh gosh, they must've gone through maybe more than a thousand different people online and 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 through their Instagram accounts that were connecting with these athletes, trying to entice them to be able to come across and really a recruiting campaign of their own. They settled on 27 of these guys to come here is where some of the criticism lies out there for fans. And I've watched it kind of brewing inside the fan circles online. People are like, well, why are they picking up players that are past their prime? Why are they looking at guys that are, that are 26 years old? They should be looking at the 16 year old kid. Who's going to grow to be that player. And these are all great points. And forgive me, Rob, if I'm jumping on some of yours, but the real point is what I wanted to be able to share is the fact that they here's a couple of of people that they have already in that camp that are are, are potentially going to be a part of this final squad. One is the former XFL Dallas Renegades, uh, uh, Gellen Robinson. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Another is the CFL so uh, player from the uh, Calgary Stampeders. Um, he is also uh, we got Gerard McDowell. That's uh, the name there. Former defensive lineman now training with the t- as a tight head prop. So there's a transferable skill that that Scott had mentioned, right? So it, it, at least the stature and the, the build is right. I mean, do you think? Let me just throw this back to 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 Scott for a moment. That a defensive lineman could be a great tight head prop. I, I do. Again, defensive lineman and offensive lineman.
2: They do have that skill set of being up front in the trenches. They're doing their best to stay low. Obviously, again, the cheeky stuff and the scrum and some of the the angles you might take are going to have to be learned, and you know they're going to have to kind of be blooded in by the competition they play. But to to, to point out the age thing, that's great. We can look at the sixteen year old, but in two years from now he's eighteen. Is really he really going to be selectable for the Eagles in an upcoming World Cup? Or are we going to have a 28 or 29 year old who is who can actually be selected? You know, he's of a of, of a more mature age. Again, he's been playing sports that had that that intensity. You know, in college, probably they probably went to a high school that did that as well. So that's where I think the age thing. I I see. I could see what people are saying to build it up that way. But if you want an immediate result in the next World Cup, you can't do it with a 16 year old. Can, can I jump in right there
1: too? I don't want to jump out of turn. I, I, I think. I, I, yeah, out,
2: <laughs> at this point, I'm going to be having a night. Rob. But. hold on. You want? Know hold on. Wait, wait, Colton. I'll make it better for us. Hold on. Just stay there. <laughs> okay, so, God. for those of you that don't know, I took Rob off screen because he's complaining. Right, put him. Put him oh, back man. I
0: feel bad, R- Rob. Like it's 17 <laughs> minutes in, and he said hi.
1: 's <laughs> the
3: equivalent of a of a no wrap tackle right there in a in a match
0: Just right mind. okay right. so so Colton finish your thought and it's swinging it over to rub for his ten minute rant.
1: yes I think to your point like say you do identify the 16 year old he has high school all american potential it, odds are that kid's probably what the best high school football player at his school he's one of the better high school football players at his school he plays baseball, he plays basketball he wrestles. Something like that. I think like this is like where in lies the issue is like that kid is more than likely going to go to college and, and play football. He's going to, if he gets a scholarship, he's going to go do that. And then you're, you're left with kind of like where these guys are just getting introduced to rugby right now. You have to hope that he comes back to the game when he's done doing whatever else he's doing.
2: And I just want to throw, uh, I'm going to throw one more name out there. Nick Savetta learned to play rugby as a freshman at Notre Dame. So let's oh, not, that, let's not make it nice seem like
0: for, 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 the yeah, U S landscape in let, general. Let,
2: yeah. Let's, let's not make it seem like Eagles don't have that pathway where they start after high school anyway.
3: Rob,
0: the floor is yours. Oh,
2: oh it's my turn now. You mean I get to actually beautiful.
3: So uh, let me just say that my response to this is, is very nuanced and I want to be careful here. Cause I'm not going to take away from the points that either uh, Scott or, or Colton talked about, cause I think they have some merit and validity. But I'm going to start off by saying this. I, I said the last time we talked about this that some of the, the three greatest eagles that we've had in the history of USA rugby were crossover athletes. And, and so I'm not saying it's not possible. I think 10's probably a little uh, uh, a little much. I, I think that, that I don't think it's going to get that many. Two or three possibly. But here's what I will say. All right, Savetta so is a current eagle but he still learned to play in college and played through college. So he had four years of training in college before he got to the point where he was putting himself in a a situation to to play. And then he went pro and he played in Italy and he's obviously played for the Eagles. How many guys have we seen in the present day that have made that transition like Hodges did, like Lyle did? Um, And the point I'm getting at here is that was 2003, eight years after professionalism in Europe of rugby. We're 25 years on in professionalism right now, right? And so the game in the United States advanced. And here's what I'm going to say as the MLR gets better and gets to be a better brand of rugby, which has grown by leaps and bounds over the last four years, uh, you're going to see the crossover athlete become, uh, it's going to be more difficult for them to make the transition. Why? Because more and more people, uh, players will go through the MLR, go through the professional ranks uh, and make their way into the Eagle squad and erase the game of the Eagles if they do things right, if the MLR does what it's supposed to do. Now, that's not to say long-term crossover program couldn't develop itself into a pro model,
0: uh, but I don't know. It may become extinct is, I guess, my point. to To that point, though, about the MLR being the logical pathway, I suppose, is the best way to describe it, at least for now, right? Because what Glendale is proposing is an entirely new pathway that hasn't existed, right? And that takes time to be able to develop trailblazers are, often are seen as, as, as nutters at first. And then at the end of its success, there were visionaries, right? But more to, to, to the point that I wanted to bring up was in that article that was recently released by the guardian, a quote from Patrick Guthrie. I shall read our goal is not to support the, uh, the development of MLR in any way. Not that we are uh, against the MLR. It's just that the MLR has gone a different direction. I'm going to swing this over to Cotton. Uh, actually, let me throw it back to you, Rob. Let me throw it back to you because you're the one who brought that up. I, I, what's interesting about that quote is what, it, what it's
3: not saying. And everybody and, – and I'm going to look at a different angle – in that um, i think to me it highlights the rub that exists between rugby town and the mlr um, i think that there's a deep seated rub there and it's the direction that the mlr has gone uh, if i had to guess it sounds to me like there's a bit of an extra grind with some of the some of the players
0: inside the mlr and i'm talking about specifically Gilcrest. right so so one of the criticisms that 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 we had when, or at least one of the speculative things that, that came out of the exit of the, the Raptors from, from Major League Rugby was that they had cited that there was increasing costs that were kind of almost spiraling out of control, was their thought. Um, and then on top of that was, was the foreign player policy, um, which is kind of still kind of a, a, a part of many conversations in Major League Rugby, right? So I'm going to put this one out to, to Colton. What do you say to people who say that, man, we need to be able to, to, to bring in that experience from outside, to be able to nurture players? It is not here already. Obviously, the players, pools that we have, the existing team that we have with the USA Nationals do the best job they can. They're a great organization. They continue to better the results year after year, but they're not at the level that they should be given the time that they've had. So what will
1: change? So, I mean, to kind of piggyback off of that, Ty, and I wanted to touch on, uh, the, the quote that you mentioned earlier. So I guess I'll start with the, the question you just asked me now. Um, I think just kind of like based on the conversations that I've had, like it's, it's just like a philosophical like shift, right? Like when you're in MLR, it's a pro, it's a pro sport, right? It, so it's a bottom line business. You know, you're judged off of wins and losses. So. Obviously, to do that, if foreign talent's coming in, you have to go get foreign talent yourself as well, right? It comes more about competing, trying to win matches, which is what it should be about. But this is like, if you recall, like when Glendale announced their, their withdrawal from the league, they cited, you know, a, a desire to to build up American talent. So th- this is like a, like I said, this is a complete and total like shift. You know, it's not about is really not about winning matches, especially at this point in time. Like it's literally just about like the development of these guys to explore this different path and, and see, you know, what comes of it. And then to go back to, to the quote that you mentioned about, you know, not supporting MLR in any way, whatever that quote was. Uh, that was one of the quotes I read in that article and just kind of, you know, being like in and around the program talking to, you know, I talked, I asked Mark Bullock point blank on my podcast in September when the, you know, the whole camp was announced and stuff like that, I asked him like, what if an MLR team, you know, you develop a guy, an MLR team comes knocking, they want to sign him. And he said it himself, like that, that guy's going to go sign and play MLR, right? Like there's no way they, they cannot, you know, allow that. But it's like, I think what he meant by that is like, this isn't built up just to be like a feeder program for the MLR. Like they want to shoot like we've, we've gone over the goals, right? They want to shoot higher than that. They want to see these guys go play in Europe, you know? that That's kind of like my take on all of that. That, that was the kind of vibe I get, and um, hopefully... So to
0: more clearly define that, you're saying that this isn't two separate pathways. They intersect with professional rugby in the U.S., and that happens to be with the MLR. So a player who's identified for this camp eventually progresses to a level that he gets a professional. He's offered a professional contract with an existing major league rugby team, infinity park rugby town usa goes congratulations what a wonderful you know thing go ahead and enjoy your professional rugby there because it continues the end goal of then getting more competition and more opportunity to be able to reach the level of a
1: usa national side is that right i mean that adds validity to the program does it not like if that's if that's what's happening from it then and, and that's one of the questions i had that's why i asked mark on my show that's what he told me in september so
0: I like that. I mean, I think that should be a point of success, and I think that many people would, would would see it as a success in that same vein. So, you know, let's let's put it out to to the floor, gentlemen. Any other thoughts? Well, you, well, re-
2: go, ahead, go go, Rob, go, Rob.
0: I, I, one question
3: I have, and, and I I'm generally want to know the answer to this question: If they spend three million dollars a year on this program, like where do they see the ROI come in? Right. It'd be one thing if they were developing a team and said, we're going to develop a team that's going to go into Pro 14 and our ROI is going to be X years down the road. But if they foresee players potentially get signed by MLR teams or other teams in Europe, where is their
0: ROI? That's a fair point. You know, do they consider these players assets is the first question, right? Because when you sign a contract with an, with an MLR side, you know, contrary to popular belief, it's not with the team. It's with the league and they become assets that are moved around the league as a result. You can buy and sell contracts. There's, you know, they're, they're products of what you've created through your academies and that structure is the same for professional sports across the globe, right? That's how they make money. If I understand you correctly, Rob, you're saying, you lose this player, so really, is it a noble cause because you don't see any return on on your investment? Um, is what are your thoughts? Well, I I think the the
2: ROI will be the re- revenue they get from whatever matches they're playing in in Infinity Park, right? I mean that that's the 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 long term goal is to help out the U.S. national teams as a whole. The short term to get there is having these preseason or these preseason, these academy, these club matches, these out of let's say, bounds matches because they're not in a, a specific thing. And people are going to show up to to watch and play rugby. I mean, we we know it's it's gonna happen. Uh-huh. The the comment I had to Rob, and he might not have an answer to, the, to this, and that's okay, is he was talking about, oh well, it might the MLR might outgrow the pace of what this crossover thing is doing. I don't think so. Un- unless rugby becomes the number one sport, the best athletes are going to play other sports. That's- so in New Zealand, the best athlete goes and plays rugby. The second best athlete goes and plays basketball in the United States. The best athlete plays basketball or football or hockey or baseball or volleyball, or they go to the racetrack or martial arts. Rugby is in in. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, rugby is so far down on the list for most people as far as the best athletes. So I think in, in here, for us, that the, the crossover program will always have enough guys if they continue to do it. But we don't
3: uh, – USA Rugby doesn't need the best athletes in the United States to progress into the Tier 1 status or even be competitive for a World Cup. They don't. We have 330 – I disagree. We have 330 million Americans. New Zealand has 4 million the The pool of athletes in the United States is so much greater that even if we find guys who to that, that point
0: though to, the, who begin
3: to play rugby you know, I at a,
0: in store. Uh, what's that I, th- I yeah so coming circling back around to, to to the point about the pool of athletes um you know one thing you have to be able to, well that I like that that Scott had mentioned was
2: but but hold on hold on wait wait go back to the pool of athletes you have the Eddie Jones rule of academies right. who's the All Blacks academies. Yeah, the, the, the Islanders, Tunga, the Pacific Tala, Islanders. So they're, they're pulling the best Pacific Islanders. They're pulling the, the, the best okay. athletes from the Pacific Islanders to be on that all-black squad So sport. how many people are going take England? How many people are in Wales?
3: How many people are in Scotland? Uh, but are so my, qu- my question we is, so are, I, my are question to nations, you... Those are tier one nations, and we still... And we're the, the best
2: athletes... T- okay, so tell me... From. We don't need give me, give me another... We don't need to. Give me another sport. <laughs> Give me another sport in the UK that's drawing the best athletes besides rugby. Soccer? Maybe maybe soccer. Not maybe, it is. Soccer. Maybe maybe hurling? Cricket, you know? So cricket, that's but tough. that's what but that's what I'm saying. We're talking about American football, baseball, basketball, lacrosse. You know, it, 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 rugby is so far down the list on that athlete scale that I, I, we're, we're, because, we, we do need the best athletes.
0: Yeah, what you are mentioning was actually mentioned in an interview. I can't remember who it was, whether it was Bullock or it was Pasquet or it was uh, Gross. I'm not sure who, but somebody in the camp there at Rugby Town, and maybe you can correct me who's, who said this, but echoed very much the same thing Scott's saying, is that the best athletes in America are not probably playing rugby. Right? This is at least how they, they identified the need for this. The second half of that 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 uh, conversation was when you look at the opportunities that exist for professional athletes, let's take football, for example, it is notoriously known that from that filter, from playing the best college ball that you can to getting an NFL contract is very, very small, that window. How many great athletes are just not good enough to reach that level, but would make great athletes in any other sport? So it's an interesting question, right? A
3: lot. But yeah, and, and that's kind of where I'm getting at. Look, once professionalism uh, begins to take root in the United States and MLR players get paid a wage that's reasonable and commensurate with what they're being asked to do on the pitch, right? More kids, more athletes will see that as an opportunity. And again, my point is we don't need the number one athletes, right? We just need very athletic kids. You're talking about it. a kid that might go to a D1 double uh, A program or a really good D3 uh, football program that's nationally competitive that has grown up and played rugby and decides, hey, here's, I can't, I can't make the pros, but uh, NFL, but I have developed enough of my rugby that I can continue to
2: develop and make and become a pro rugby player. But that's, but that's the caveat is how many of those guys are playing rugby and then going to those those D3, D2, D1 schools. Well, I, so I, I, I because it's I, not I, I a, one. it's I coached okay, one. but you coached one. How many but how many I college coached. football players are there in all three divisions that how many of them played rugby. So I'm my sure. point is what they're doing is they're they're taking out the fact that USA rugby can't compete in the youth rugby programs right now for whatever reason whether it's monetarily them never doing it correctly you know the unions not getting together to do it whatever the, the amalgamation of problems we have with youth rugby and they're saying we can get around that by taking these athletes and giving them the basic skills and getting them that game experience to try and get them to the no, national no, team. Get, so until until pro- we build the I youth the program, program. I get the program
3: I don't have a problem with what they're doing and I think it's a noble and great thing. That's not my point. I'm just saying in the long term it's going to be, if MLR is successful and pro rugby is successful, it'll become extinct. That that right. the right. program will become extinct. Rob, I, I, still, part, I
0: still disagree. I God, still disagree. that point, though, you're, still you're thinking, prob- like, if we take it on the face value of what they have said, their target is 2027 at its longest goal. So, you know, really we're talking about not this World Cup or the next World Cup, but th- that goal, let's focus on those again. Is it realistic? Is it feasible is the true question here, right? So by 2023, to be able to have as many as 10 players that are representing the U.S. national side um, for the next Rugby World Cup, and obviously to compete and get out of the pool stage, I'm sure, is kind of the you know subsequent goals there. But more importantly, the big goal, pie in the sky, by 2027 to win a Rugby World Cup. Now, are these just lofty aspirations? Is it just more hype? you know, let's let's see. Let's talk about the realistic goals that are there. Is it feasible? I want to swing it over to Colton to be able to answer this one because he's 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 not found his window to jump in between the two of you.
1: <laughs> it's okay, I, I thought about it jumping in here here and there, but I'll just let you guys hash it out. Uh, so I think it's th-
0: just like watch the fireworks.
1: <laughs> and uh, I think like one thing that that we should consider here is like. I'm gonna go back to the point I made at the beginning. Like, it's not the way; it's a way. So, like to your point, Rob. Like, if if M L R keeps progressing, if professionalism keeps progressing, you're mixing in like these guys that have just learned that are, you know, six five. They run four six forties. They can lift, up, I don't know, five hundred pounds. Like, you're mixing in those guys that that are pretty raw at rugby still. They're in a full, you know, they're in full time training environment, but they're practicing a lot with the guys that have been playing M L R with the guys that have played rugby before you know, 15, 20 years of their life, like you're mixing that all together. And I think that could potentially like be, you know, what, you know, could help you get over the first little hump and, and it could, you know, and we'll see from there, but like, I've seen it a lot online. um, I agree with it wholeheartedly. Like it's just going to be proof is in the pudding and it goes back to Bullock's thing. Like this is an experiment. If, you know, if they come to find out they play this spring, they play, you know, next year and they decide, you know what, we, if we play like a, a full team, we have 15 guys on the pitch, and none of them have ever played rugby, that's not, you know, that's not proving to work for us. You know, what if they go eight guys on the pitch that never played rugby with seven guys that have, like, you know, you have a, a back line of experience, you know, backs or, or something like that. I think, you know, I think like it's a Rubik's cube. And I think, you know, we're, we're twisting it around. We're seeing what works and ultimately like, we're going to see what works, you know?
0: Right. I love all the points that have been shared. Just a few more to be able to round out this particular segment talking about the Glendale crossover athlete program that is ongoing. It is an experiment. Mark Bullock had identified as that. And again, that's the director of rugby for Rugby Town USA. Here's a man who's of rugby pedigree. You know, he knows what he's doing when it comes to the rugby landscape. He's got great support staff with him. He's got the right people surrounding him. And he's got the athletes who have the potential. Will that potential, of course, be met? We don't know. You know, they've got their first goal set for 2023. I guess at that time, we'll be able to evaluate whether this experiment has been successful or not. However, in the meantime, I think it's pretty cool that you've got an organization that is willing to be able to try something different and willing to put a ton of money into making it happen. Because I have always said, and this is coming as an outsider's point of view, I'll call myself that for the purpose of this conversation, that I have always said for many years, Obviously, me being South African, having rugby a part of my life from as far back as I can remember, looking at the U.S., if they decided they wanted to be able to do, be great at something and put money towards it, they usually achieve it. And I hope that this is one of those cases where I'll be proven right again. But only time will tell. And for the now, we understand that all of us on screen believe that it's an innovative idea, Whether it's the solution, we don't know. However, we can agree that this is something that, if it works, will only add value to the greater rugby community in the U.S. and across the continent. So let's take a few moments to be able to step away from this conversation. We'll be back in just a moment after a word from our sponsor.
2: It's that time again, everybody. You know, your favorite part of the rugby rant when the big guy does his Manscaped read. Valentine's Day is upon us, fellas. Make sure you are ready for wherever the night is going to take you. Our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's and women's below the waist grooming, are here to tell you that you need to take, uh, use the best tools for the job so you can be ready for anything on that special day. You know, uh, two million men are already trusting Manscaped products to groom. You know, make sure you're one of them. The big guy, you know, since, since, College pretty much has had, you know, grooming issues. You got razor burn, you got nicks, you got cuts and, you know, Manscaped 3.0, uh, lawnmower gets rid of all that. They have the, uh, perfect cutting, uh, edge ceramic blades to reduce those grooming accidents and actually also has skin state, uh, safe technology. It's, it's actually patented, believe it or not. It's also waterproof, which prevents a mess on the bathroom floor and in the sink, especially when it comes time for Cupid to shoot that arrow like Toronto is going to do down in uh, Atlanta. Now um, let's be real. We've all smelled the worst down there before. That's why I'm thankful for their crop preserver and crop reviver. These products keep our boys from sweating, smelling and sticking. You use deodorant for your armpits. Why not use it for the smelliest part of your body? All these products smell good. And they actually just set us up with the manscape signature scent cologne. It's called redefined. Uh, I got I know all three of us on the rugby rant got a little bit of it and I gotta be honest, my wife tells me to put it on every morning before I go to work. She loves that scent. I'm obviously using it if she's telling me, you know, to love it. Um get the perfect package for you. The 3.0 package it comes with Manscaped Boxers. It has that anti-chafing technology. Easily the comfiest boxers I've ever had. My wife actually ended up wearing them the other day and and mentioned to me how comfortable they were (laughs) and she likes to steal my clothes. So uh, get 20% off of free shipping with the code RugbyRant at Manscaped.com. Again, use the code uh, rant at Manscaped.com to get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Happy Valentine's Day from Manscaped.
0: Your boys will thank you. Welcome back, rugby fans, to the Rugby Rant Podcast show. My name is Ty Brog, again, your host for today's activities, alongside Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt, Scott the Big Guy Ferrara, and joining us, Colton Stricker from DNVR Rugby. Now, gentlemen, we took an opportunity before to be able to talk about the Glendale crossover program. It was an interesting debate, but now we need to move on to the present news that popped up this week. Much anticipated was the new schedule that released by Major League Rugby for the season ahead. Now, for those of you, of course, I'm pretty sure no, but let's recap. This was going to be a full season with 14 teams. Uh, we ended up losing – actually, it was 13 14. teams, should I say. <laughs> I suppose if we go back to Canaloa, it was supposed to be 14, right? right? <laughs> How far back are we going here, boys? <laughs> so more to the point, it was going to be 13 We had Dallas, unfortunately, choose to be able to postpone their start. They'll be returning in 2022. Now, with them out, we had to do a bit of a shuffle with the schedule, and we're here to be able to debate where it lands, good or bad, merits, demerits for the new schedule that has been revealed, and who are the winners and losers when it comes to that schedule. So, with that understood, we're going to start this round where we ended the last one with Rob Hammerschmidt, Take the Floor. Thanks, Ty. So merits and
3: demerits. First of all, here's what I like about the schedule over the, the, the initial one that they sent out. And perhaps it's indicative when you have a balanced schedule that has 12 teams, six in each conference, right? Opening weekend, six matches, every team's playing. I love that fact. The first weekend on the original schedule, Toronto was sitting out. Um, I also like the fact, speaking of Toronto, that they and they and ATL play each other on opening weekend. Again, a reminder of the fact that uh, essentially it's Toronto's home match of sorts because they're going to be based in uh, Atlanta over there in Marietta, Georgia. So they don't have to travel for the first two weeks, which is kind of nice. Uh, and it also allows them to build a little support in and amongst the natives so that maybe they do get some people coming to their matches even when ATL is on the road. Um, So I really like the schedule because it's also balanced. Teams are paired for the bye weeks. They're chunked. Uh, In other words, like two teams might have, they do have the same bye week, or there's like three teams that have the same two bye weeks. So it really works out kind of nicely there. Um, The only thing I don't like about this schedule as I zoom out at it is that, um, you know, the fact that there's a team that has a bye week in the last week. Um, And it was supposed to be Houston the last time. Um, I'm looking at the schedule now. Um, that last team is, is Toronto and San Diego. I don't like that because especially those two teams, they were the two strongest teams coming out of the MLR sh- shortened season last year. They don't control their destiny of sorts. They're going to really have to make, themselves, make sure that they put themselves in a position so that they don't have to worry about what other teams do. Right, and that would be a concern for me if I'm a fan from those two teams. The winners, Toronto has a plan. Good on you, Toronto fans. At least you'll be able to see your team play. Um, you know, uh, and I think the best matchups: Texas Cup week three and week 12, Nola versus Atlanta week six and week 12. So week 12 is a big week. Um, San Diego and LA and week 14. That'll be a good matchup. And uh, I think Ro- Rooney and Nola is going to be a real fun matchup to watch. They play twice, obviously, in these. I'm going to look for both of those games.
0: Nice. Great, solid opening there. And again, let's pay respect to to Toronto thinking, you know, outside the box, to, certainly, right? I mean, we, we kind of had a little buildups to this announcement and then obviously was perfectly timed on the back of the, the schedule release. But it made so, many, so much sense to be able to, to you know, as you pointed out, to be able to leverage the community, rugby community there in Atlanta. so when Atlanta's on the road, maybe Toronto has a home game that can still have some attendance, you know these type of things. But yeah, great points there. Solid opening. I like the merits and demerits. Um, I think it's relevant to be able to also say that, that, that by at the end could be a factor for, for, for them. So let's move it over to Scott Ferrara. What do you have to say?
2: So so we're still cooking, so uh, the good, I think uh, it's good for the big guy. I love the Rooney schedule. Right. Um, we're starting it with uh, San Diego away in Vegas. Uh, we have our first home match, uh, two matches later, home against home against Old Glory, and then home against uh, Toronto right after that. And it seems as though uh, they have kind of leveled out Rooney's schedule a little bit. Um, they have the L.A. Guiltini's match is now a home match for Rooney, and then uh, away at AG's, and previously it was away at Guiltini's on the Saturday, and then away at AG's on a Thursday night with like a, almost a short week, like the NFL does with their Thursday night football games. Um, so honestly, I think for, for me as a fan, as a, specifically a Rudy fan, um, having Dallas kind of back out and, and retweaking the schedule, uh, it looks a little better for us. Um, plus, we have the last two uh, we the last two games in in the in the the season are home matches, which is always nice. Um, the bad. I think the 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 bad is actually East Coast Eastern Conference derbies because what did we lose? We lost that third game yeah. for all those teams playing Eastern Conference derbies. And what's let's let's be honest. What's better for a derby fan? If you're a fan of one of those teams, then a rubber match, you know, kind of, you know, you could always split one and one. And that kind of sucks. I mean, it's mm. it's nice to see in baseball, you know, you have your Friday, Saturday, Sunday's the rubber match. You split Friday and Saturday. And guess what? Sunday actually means something. That third derby match h- had big bragging rights on the line, especially if you split. So I think that the biggest loser is actually Eastern conference fans losing that third derby
0: match. Right. And that would have fueled that, that rivalry even more and built the culture around it even more. I do agree with you. You know, if it ends up being a tie, that's just why did we play?
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, I understand why you have yeah, to do it. Don't obviously. Don't any, yeah. It's logistics. I, it, but as a fan, I think, you know, playing the free jacks three times and, and hopefully whipping their butt three times is good bragging rights for us. It, yeah, and yeah, that, I,
3: I, yeah, I agree with you, Scott. Although a part of me thinks about that and says, you know what? It's if they do uh, split, it kind of makes for a nice build up to next
2: season, right? Yeah, no, I, yeah, but I mean, I'm just this happened to be the season where we could have three, right? right. I, season, I got three derby I got matches. It, it might not happen again, based upon you know having X amount of teams yeah. on, in in conferences. So I'm just saying, it was nice to see it. Kind of on paper for right. a little
0: bit. It was a happy coincidence, you know, having a lopsided uh conference that you ended up playing them.
2: And and to be honest, every fan was saying, "Oh, we're lopsided in the conference. How are they going to work it out?" And when 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 Commissioner Killebrew was like, "Oh, we're we're trying to add a third derby match for all the Eastern Conference teams." I mean, that got me like super excited. I want to see Nola play was, ATL yeah. three
0: times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fair points. I like it. I also like the point that you brought up that they got the last two games of the home games. Um, you know that's important as well for a lot of teams that are still very much under these COVID restrictions. The, the longer you have to be able to have those home matches, or at least you know a bulk of them, the better it might be for you in in New York State, right? And and I
2: think the last two matches, hold on, I'm gonna look just for for Rooney are. Sabercats and NOLA, and and those are two teams yeah. that are going to have fans in the stands for a majority right. of their home matches up front. So I think it, it, they did have a plan saying Rooney might be able to have fans later on, so those are the two teams they right. can play
0: later and on. a very similar at- path seems to have been laid out. And Colton, I'm going to swing it over to you, so my apologies for the team, team of the day. This time, right? My team yeah. <laughs> it just whoever's last in the round waits the longest. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so what I wanted to be able to just build on for a moment, talking about you know having those games later. If you look at the front end as well, a team like Seattle, um, who's also got their own frustrations there, but not on t- not only with with COVID related, but the weather itself, right? Uh, being an unpredictable factor as it is for most teams like like Toronto as well. At least they get to be able to skip that. And it has been for, for New York as well last year, not having even a single game at home because of it. More to my point is that they their first two matches are away. So it looks like the last two, you know, you, you, the the, the trade off is that you don't have your first two at home, but you have your last two at home, and they thought about that that path because those are the teams that would most be affected early in the season rather than the latter part of the season is my reasoning behind it, which is something that was a takeaway for me. Colton, what takeaways do you have?
1: Yeah, uh, and I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, I guess most of my points have kind of been hit, so I guess will start out with with the good. Um good on MLR, I guess for for getting the schedule together so quickly. I think it was like 2 weeks since right like just over 2 weeks since Dallas withdrew. Um the bad I guess is that Dallas won't be a part of it and it's kind of unfortunate shouldn't really have had to come to that uh to to have to you know have such a quick turnaround. Um I think the winners is just honestly like everybody all the clubs you know they're persevering they they get to you know at least start the season try to play which is awesome, which that's good for everybody that likes rugby, wants to watch, you know, American rugby. That's good stuff. Um, Yeah, like Rob said, another winner I've got is Toronto. Um, They have a plan now. That was one of the big questions I had kind of been wondering about, you know, just kind of seeing what was going on with the Toronto Raptors of the NBA playing in Florida. I was was interested to see what was going to happen with that. So that was uh, good to see um, for them. I guess losers, uh, you have Toronto fans. I categorized them in, in the loser category just because, you're not going to get a, you're probably not going to get to see your team live, at least at the beginning of the season, which is a bummer. Uh, nothing better than, than going and watch some live rugby. Um, and key matchups I have, it was kind of hard, you know, looking, looking ahead just because everything is so fluid with COVID and stuff. And I know just kind of going back to Killabrew's press conference from about a month ago, maybe I sat in on that and just listened to him talk. Like he mentioned, there is going to be hiccups. So, you know, keeping that in mind, I think the one I've got my eye on is the is the Seattle versus San Diego in week eight um, was fortunate enough to be at that MLR final in 2019. I was just such an awesome match. And they, those two teams always seem to bring the heat when they play each other. The The great people of Seattle have always been very nice to me. And the same goes for San Diego. So it's kind of the one I got my eye on. Um, and in that same you know light, I'm looking forward to seeing some more East Coast teams. I was so laser focused on the Raptors last year, I didn't get a chance to really watch much of Rugby ATL or Old Glory or, or the Free Jacks, and so I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm looking forward to actually having some time to to you know bounce around, and watch some different matches this year.
0: Yeah, some great points there. One that I wanted to be able to just circle back around to is you said one of the big winners for you was Toronto. The only thing I would add to that, of course affirming your, 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 your decision there is Toronto and rugby ATL are both winners in that arrangement, right? Um, Cause these are partnerships that are vital to the success of the sport. And I think what, what comes across now with this, this pivot to be able to bring the rugby partners together, to be able to galvanize that the, the, them, get them focused in one direction. And you know, that direction is we want to play rugby, no matter what, how it will look, yeah. we're going to play rugby. We're going to have a season It's going to be able to kick off on the same date. I love the fact that they were committed to the same start date, by the way. So it's like a clear Mm -hmm. statement of intent. Like we're going to be continuing rugby no matter what, right? I don't know what version it will look like. That version may change. This is our prediction right now. We're going to evolve. We're going to, you know, roll with the punches, but we're going to keep playing rugby. And rugby ATL and Toronto are great examples of that. San Diego, great example, having to move to, to Las Vegas. May we see more employ the same technique if they need to? I believe so, because once you've opened the door with partnerships that have set the precedent, like Toronto and, and Rugby ATL, there's no reason that the, and the other ones wouldn't exist too. So, those are important points. I do like that you brought that up, though, Colton. As you said, that the real winner is the fact that we can just play rugby, right? Mm-hmm. So, and you know what? I want to I want to add to my winner list, Ty, real quick. I want to say two two
2: other winners. Um, are the Old Glory uh, ownership and the Toronto ownership. Old Glory came out with that announcement saying, you know, we're not sure what's going to be happening with tickets. We're not going to be sure what's going to be happening in Virginia at the time. You know, bear with us. We're trying to figure it out. We will let you know as soon as possible. Again, that's communication we don't have from other clubs. The communication from Toronto today said, we are doing our best to try and get the Arrows back into Canada in this season. Mm. So they, they, they laid the expectation up front. We are going to try to do our best to play in Lamport this season. When th- if things can open up, and we're playing in Rugby ATL in the meanwhile, so I think they it, it it's it they might not be able to play in Canada, but you know they're fighting to, and right. that's that's why that communication is important.
0: I I hundred percent believe that. In fact, Rob, I'm going to ask for your further opinion on that topic because one thing that you've always said and been consistent is transparency. Do we need to see more of this from organizations?
3: Uh, Well, uh, it's always nice, but I'll say this. I said, you know, those two teams were kind of in unique situations, right? I mean, you you clearly – Toronto, we knew early on, was going to have a much greater issue than any of the teams in in the United States because of the border issues. But we also started to see as things progressed that California was under further lockdown restrictions. Uh, Scott knows from New York's experience that they were in the same situation. All those clubs came out right I mean, and did the right thing and let their fans know what was going on. And the transparency emerged when they had a clear path. Um, I, I think with, you know, ATL, with NOLA, with Houston, with um, Austin, we have states that are opened up. And so I think their for, I think their intent was to forge ahead. Have fans, do what they're gonna do. And and if things change, then they would change. I just actually found out from some Nola folks. First of all, I'm gonna be honest, I dare I say this, but uh, the opposite of, of Rooney, Nola was a loser in the schedule. Because they their last six games are all on the road, which is something you don't want when you're when you're trying to fight to get yourself in a position for one of those one of those playoff spots. But I'm right. talking to folks down there, um, they're gonna have fans, there's gonna be limited ticketing. Um, I, I believe they've, they've, I'd have to check. I thought they had said that they had done a great job in selling season tickets and they're going to meet all their season ticket holders needs, but there's definitely going to be social ticketing down there, um, at the shrine, uh, the, uh, the shrine of the gold mine. So, um, we can expect to see that. Um, but th- they're forging ahead. Like we're going to have a season. We're going to have fans. We're going to do the best we can. And I don't think they veered from that.
0: Well, it, it, it the last six games, of the season might not be at home and that might not be with the weather, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. You know, and also you get your games up, up front, you know, you can get money in the bank, you know, you, you got something, you know, if you get halfway through the season, you realize that you've hit some of the metrics that you had set for yourself that season, you're in a pretty comfortable position and everybody else might very well have to wait halfway through the season to even begin taking tickets at the door. Right. Um, so a lot of variables and I, this unfortunately where Rooney was, a, was a loser and Toronto was a loser last year. Can Can I just say, uh, this is what I was looking
3: for. And I, and I couldn't quite find it, but I found it. Um, we got information from Noel we're alive and kicking. We're officially going to start the season. Uh, we're definitely playing. Uh, we're going to follow all the COVID guidelines. We're going to be safe. And they said, we have doubled our season tickets from last time at this year, uh, last year at this time. Uh, but we're only going to be able to fill the stadium with 25% until further notice. So they're starting to trickle things out. Um,
0: right. like that's good news for for those people that are committed. So, to let's put that, that in context. First of all, fantastic news, right? We want to, no matter what team it is, we want to hear that tickets are selling, right? Bums in seats. That's what's really the, the driving the revenue at this stage. But correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't the, the gold mine a 10,000 capacity stadium?
3: Um. Yeah, something like that. But you know, realize
0: it? they're about
3: the the one. I believe the one sight line gets a little tough as you head into right field. What was right
0: field? Um. But you know, well, if memory serves me well, it's in the ballpark of a ten thousand yes. seat stadium. So yes. if it's at twenty five percent, here lies my point. Then you're looking at twenty five hundred fans. The average attendance in 2019 was only two thousand five hundred and twenty per an MLR match, and that was before COVID. So really, they could be operating at levels that were pre-COVID pre because they have a larger stadium, right? Yeah. And they had done a great job of selling their pre-sold pre tickets. So good points. I mean, and and I think there's a trade-off, and the trade-off
2: there is the sight line might not be as good, but but you are in the stadium to socially distance safely. So I mean, right. As if, if I was an Ola fan and that was the option, I would still, me personally, I would still be doing it.
0: Right, because we all just want to be able to experience rugby firsthand, right? I mean, to be a part of the game day experience is something that we all miss. Um, Well, not to make
3: make you jealous, Scott, but my plans are to go down for the 27th of March. And I will be seeing on the new schedule, Rooney and Nola uh, lace it up and do battle at the gold mine. Suck it. Suck it, Rob.
0: <laughs> so, what is your response? Suck it. <laughs> so, gentlemen, um, we—I think we've stayed, stayed the course in this one. I mean, yes, it, it's all up to debate. It, it's a matter of perspective. It depends on who you're a fan of, and you know, if you're able to attend games or not. Thinking if it's in your favor or not, because we tend to personalize our experiences, and you know, I guess the fans will decide. But ultimately. We want to make sure that everybody gets to be able to play rugby, host the season, support us launch, support the teams, if you are able to, as safely as possible. And if you are not, hopefully you'll have the opportunity to be able to watch it online through your streaming service, do your little bit. Every little bit will help, right? And uh, we as fans play our role, perhaps more important than ever before. Um, talking about upcoming schedules, um, we're going to have a special opportunity. I wanted to be able to drop this before we head out. On March 17th, we have secured the opportunity to be able to have on our show in a run, pass, or kick interview, Mr. George Killebrew himself. Three days before the opening God of the commission. season, he has chosen to join us to be able to share some special messages just before the season starts. So make sure that you tune in on, to the Rugby Rant. You can find us online under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. You can find us on all the normal social media platforms of Twitter, Instagram, and of course, Facebook, where you'll see this episode and all the others right there on the Rugby Rant page. On behalf of myself and the team, we need to be able to thank you for watching this episode. Drop a comment down below. But before we head out, we need to crown a winner. So who will it be, gentlemen? It has been an interesting debate. I'm not going to fuss about this one because I think I'm pretty sure. No, I'm sure. I'm sure who the winner is on this occasion. And I'll hand the title to Mr. Scott Ferrara. You are the winner of this round. Again, is that two in a row? It's two in a row. And as Macho Man Randy Savage
2: used to say, just a cup of coffee, man. Just a cup of
0: coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks. Uh, I do hope that you've enjoyed this episode here on the Rugby rant and make sure that you give us a like, follow, share. Um Scott, do you want to let everybody know where they can hear our episodes? Yeah, so we're on uh,
2: Apple iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Amazon Music, we're on Stitcher, we're we're pretty much uh Google Podcasts. Anywhere you can get uh podcasts, we are on. You can get all of our back catalog and if you're on Apple iTunes listening to us, please rate, review and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps people get, get to know us. It gets the word out there. It spreads us out. So please rate, review,
0: and subscribe. Excellent. Colton, before we head out, we like to be able to do as tradition, be able to give the floor to our guest. Send a shout out to anybody you think is important, friends or family, or perhaps you have a special message you want to share.
1: Uh, yeah, I think I just, uh, I'll give a shout out to my parents. You know, Thanks, thanks mom and dad. Uh, my girlfriends led me do this in the other room right now while she's over <laughs> in bed. So thank you to Janelle. Um, but I mean, other than that, yeah, thank you guys for, for just having me on. It was fun to to talk about some of the stuff going on right now. And uh, I appreciate it. It was a good time. I, I'm looking forward to, to coming back if I'm presented the opportunity. So thank you guys. I appreciate it.
0: Well, we'll have to bring you back.
3: Sorry, Rob. You'll find. No, thanks there. for joining. Thanks for joining. We appreciate it
1: yeah thank
0: you excellent once again thanks for watching this episode of the rugby rant podcast show and we'll see you at the next one
2: everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time